Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Phoenix, Arizona, it's time for Phoenix Business Radio, spotlighting the city's best businesses and the people who lead them. Welcome, everybody, to the Learners Show, broadcasting live to you today from the Phoenix Business Radio X studios here in Tempe, Arizona. I'm your host, Deborah Hildebrand. And I'm your co-host and producer, Lauren Jenny, and we are here to celebrate Women in Agile. So one of my passions is to help young girls who want to have a career in STEM. This show is a big part of how we get there because as we highlight women who are doing amazing things at Agile, we create role models for young women to look up to and emulate. So of course, I want to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Learn Agile. We provide Agile certification courses, professional learning courses, and coaching. You can get certified with IC Agile or Scaled Agile. Uh, Find out more at learnagile.com. That's L-U-R-N, agile.com. So today we're really excited to welcome Karina Jones, Director of Information Technology at Arizona State University, and Aaron Randall, Principal Coach and Founder of Admelioria and Co-Leader of the Agile Austin Coaching Group. So thank you guys for joining us today. Thank you. I'm really happy to be here. So, Erin, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, your certifications, and your work? I'd be happy to. And I'm also going to laugh here a little bit at the beginning because I feel like (laughs) I have more initials after my name uh, than I probably will ever need. Um, But they do come in (laughs) handy on occasion. So you were bringing up IC Agile certifications and the like, um, but I really started as a scrum master along that track and fell in love with the work so much so that I did go down the Agile coaching route. So I did both the IC Agile certifications for Agile coaching as well as Agile team facilitation. And then I did a year-long cohort because I wanted to become great at Agile coaching, not just, you know, I can hold my own. I wanted to really do this work to the very best of my ability. And that meant a year of study and practice and the like. And from there, I did the enterprise cohorts uh, for both uh, coaching Agile transformations or transitions. Uh, as well as enterprise coaching. And then I did uh, work for uh, a coactive certification. And right now I've just finished up the ORSC, the Organizational Relationship and System Coaching. So I'm kind of annoying on the certification front <laughs> and I know it. <laughs> but all those skills do really come in handy to the point that I don't even really consider certifications anymore because I want uh, the learning behind them so that I can serve teams and individuals with those skills. But that's me on the uh, training front. Really? What about your your business, Erin? That, um, (laughs) we're going to laugh here because uh, I kicked things off late last year, but I knew that I was going to be in Tanzania uh, because my mom at age 72 was like, you know, we really need to climb Kilimanjaro now. And I'm like, you're right, we, we do need to because that's not something we can keep putting off. Uh, so we were in Tanzania uh, the beginning of the year. So I really didn't uh, kick off Admiral coaching until February of 2020. So you can imagine the world's best possible time to launch a business. But it's also been wonderful uh, because people, um, there's a little bit more time now. And people can step back and step into that and be like, okay, what do I need here? And a lot of coaching work is about holding space for those transformations to happen. So uh, making that available to people as well as, you know, 
walking that path with them and holding that container so they can um, move through that kind of transformation is honestly some of the most rewarding work that I can imagine. Um, but I do that work not just for individuals, but for organizations and teams as well. And helping teams step through that kind of work um, really makes a huge difference in the organizational life of a company. Really, really intriguing. <laughs> I'm just in <laughs> awe. <laughs> but also, Karina, I want to ask you, um, can you tell us about your career and all about you and how you work in ASU and all that with the university? Yes. Um, so I work at ASU Preparatory Academy. So we are in the area of uh, K-12 for ASU. We actually prepare our little ones. We have from pre-K through high school, wow. uh, little ones that are getting ready to go to college. And that is a step towards um, their college degree. Um, 100% of our students come to um, get a secondary degree. And most of them come to ASU, but it can be any post, uh, you know, uh, secondary education, not necessarily just uh, ASU. I have been here at ASU for eight years now, I believe, and uh, in different areas, um, different areas of ASU, not only ASU Prep Academy, and I love it. Um, but what is interesting is that before ASU, I'm coming naturally from 14 years in the corporate sector. Um, sector. I was in Procter & Gamble, Latin America, for um, 14 years in different countries and uh, managing projects. I have always been big on projects. That is my thing. So I used to manage projects um, of all kinds, uh, mostly in uh, manufacturing sector and sales. So totally different from education. And uh, I have to say, I did not know Agile before because our projects in manufacturing especially are fully waterfall, like uh, the typical traditional project. So when I came to ASU, um, I did experience some cultural shock in a way, just uh, trying to understand Agile and why is it that suddenly, you know, we had to be changing scope of the project in the middle of the project and uh, changing resources in the middle of the project. And that is, um, that is a very interesting um, way in which my mind went to learn how Agile really uh, works uh, differently for these type of projects that we have in education. And, uh, and uh, right now, um, I, mean, I totally get it. I totally dig um, Agile. And, um, but I, I come from both experiencing any sort of projects as well. Wow, our, our listeners are very lucky today to have such great guests. <laughs> I agree, I agree. And um, Karina, it's um, it's interesting because I don't think anybody like our age, you know, from our generation is is purely <laughs> agile, right? Like, uh, like they are now, like you could, now you could probably just know agile and never have experienced waterfall, right? <laughs> But I mean, I think most of us that are like our generation, yeah, we have experienced waterfall. Um, and, and, you know, the, I, I remember the first time that I was introduced to Agile and I thought the guy was crazy. So yeah, <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about. And I think it's great that, and we'll talk about it a little later, but I think it's great that ASU um, has an Agile culture because I, you know, mm -hmm. that I work for a couple other in, um, universities and they do not, right? They're still waterfall. And I think it's a it's a big problem is because it is design work, right? It, you are building a product when you're building programs and and um, and courses, and um, you know, agile lends itself beautifully to that, right? Um, 
and I see Aaron shaking her head, right? And and I just don't understand how, you know, because I, I remember the first time we did a program at the University of Washington and they had me fill out like, you know, sheets and sheets full of um, design of these uh, of the of this three course program. And I'm like, how are we gonna know what that course is gonna look like before we finish the first <laughs> one, right? And they wanted us to fill out the whole thing and um, yeah. yeah, so it's it's interesting. I love it that ASU does that. So I hope that you know a lot more universities start to follow that model. Definitely. I also yeah. believe that um, I have to say um, I continue to believe that waterfall is definitely not a bad methodology, right? It no, depends. No. It depends on the project that you are handling, and so you have to understand the different methodologies so that when you get to understand the project your mind can, can immediately say, or at least that I have come to that, to that point in which I can see a project and I say, mm, actually, this is not going to work for Agile. This mm -hmm. requires more about waterfall or requires a combination, you know, a Agile. <laughs> so you, you, or, you know, is, that, is it going to be a Scrum or Kanban? So getting to understand the different methodologies is very important so that you see what makes a better fit for your project. Agile is not always the, the solution for everything. And Karina is absolutely right with that. Agile is not the only solution for anything. Um, what I do love is that we can be flexible about so many things and these you know, frameworks give us such a wide tool set. Um, I have a friend who, you know, you were mentioning at the beginning, uh, Deb, that uh, you were looking, you know, the STEM aspect and helping uh, students step forward into different careers. But, you know, I have friends that are teachers uh, and helping them, what would a Kanban board look like just for your classroom to be able to show the work, you know, be transparent about what we're doing here. Those small steps there can really make it number one easier for people as they begin to enter higher education and have some of those at least exposure in mind to make that an easier transition. Plus, who doesn't love a good Kanban board? You know, except yeah. maybe husband who's like, Are we doing that work thing again? I'm like, Yes, yes, we are. <laughs> yeah, I, I think Kanban boards are a great way to get it started and the stand up meetings. Those are the two mm -hmm. things that people love. So and work, right? And they both, they show that it works. Yeah. yeah. And they're like, oh, okay. And then I always kind of hook them in with a good retrospective <laughs> because I love to work with metaphors on retrospective and to help people really get down there and like, oh, I didn't even realize I felt that way about that. And like, how do we bring that forward? So yes, I completely agree. You know, daily stand up, keep it short, sweet, you know, answer three questions, get back to stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So of course I can't have the show without talking about COVID and I, and I wish, you know, that we didn't talk about COVID. I'm like, I wish it was over, right. we didn't have to talk about COVID, but um, you know, it has disrupted so much of the way we do work. And so I just want, I've been asking my guests, you know, how has it, uh, how has it impacted or even benefited? I know Aaron, you talked a little bit about how it's been a benefit um, for you that people have slowed down a bit. Um, but how has it impacted uh, your work, if at all? So we can ask Erin and Karina and jump in. <laughs> all right. I'm like, which of us would like to tackle that monster first? <laughs> exactly. uh, well, you know, COVID affects everything at this point. Some adversely, some of it is just causing us to be more creative. I was supposed to be in Nigeria in June speaking at one of the regional scrum gatherings and I had planned since I was going that far anyway, I was going to do a one day coaching uh, workshop 
for some of the participants. And obviously that whole thing got, you know, canceled because, well, no one could fly. But it seemed a waste uh, mm-hmm. to not try to do something different for those people that wanted to attend. So I moved the whole thing up to mural and uh, we loaded participants in. Uh, we just did it via Zoom. It was different, okay, because I'm able to teach differently when I'm in mural versus in person. And it's adapting, you know, for that moment. Not all changes are positive. Uh, One of my big things is to actually meet people in person whenever possible. And COVID has really put the kibosh on that. (laughs) It's a little hard to have tea with someone when uh, nothing, you know, you can't, you know, like stay 20 feet back. Yeah. So that part's been hard. But I think we're about to enter a new phase of creativity, of collaboration, rather than just sustaining uh, through what we're experiencing now, I think people were starting to dig in and be like, okay, well, this is this is going to be it for a while. Okay, we've got to find a way forward. And what are we willing to bend? What are we willing to do in order to make that kind of collaboration? Mm-hmm. Karina? Yeah, for me, uh, you know, yeah, the typical, um, totally, totally agree with, with Aaron. Like we have to be able to adapt because this is going to stay. It's not going to go away tomorrow or the day after tomorrow, right? And uh, and some of it is going to stay and it's totally transforming the way in which we do um, business and uh, um, yeah. work. So in my case, it's been, you know, the typical working from home, um, caring for a child. I have a five-year-old who... Um, at first, his daycare was closed for um, several months. And uh, so I had to be dealing with meetings and uh, just entertaining my child. Still. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I ended up like being able to um, find a routine, I believe, that worked for, for us. Like uh, we were able to set our Alexas to um, create some schedules. So Alexa would remind us, 8 a.m. is time for breakfast. 9 a.m. is uh, start for a uh, time for centers. And I would send my boy to work on centers. And so just uh, being able to manage both um, being a mom and um, work at the same time with multiple meetings and in a time in which we were moving to online learning for mm-hmm. all of our students and was like, super, super busy at, um, mm-hmm. at our school, really, like uh, uh, supporting families on this transition as well. So um, it was uh, difficult times, but like uh, like Karen says, uh, we have all learned to, to really deal with this, and this is here to stay. So the good of it and the good practices that we have learned are, are going to be the ones that remain and make everybody stronger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree with uh, Karina wholeheartedly. And by the way, I love the idea now of Alexis. You know, she's got the calendar internalized. She's like, don't forget, you know, it's time for, you know, your <laughs> meeting right now. So I'm just going to hear that voice in my head. Yeah, yeah it's amazing the way the tools have evolved, right? I mean, just a Zoom. I've been using Zoom for like 12 years because I've been teaching online forever. It's amazing how it's evolved in the last like nine months. So yeah. And watching what, you know, different companies were doing to try to support teachers and students as they all of a sudden, everybody went home. How do you help, you know, make that learning environment possible? What tools and support, what training, you know, how can we be of service there to make this a reality? Because we can't just say, oh, well, nope, no more school. You know, we're going to send that, you know, no one's going to be there. That's not a reality. And to step forth into that, um, it takes a lot of bravery and courage, but 
just tenacity. We've got to find a way to make this work. And well, we have to work at the end, I believe, like uh, in, in the case of ASU, we, uh, we were lucky that we already had a branch of our uh, schools that are fully online. Like we have an ASU Prep Digital and we have the ASU online um, modalities that are already online. So we already we were already used to, to using Zoom or using those technologies. And we just had to take them to everybody. The technologies already existed. But I think like uh, we make it work at the end because there's no option, right? Either yeah. you make it or you die. So, you know, but also, I mean, COVID and a new way of working, you know, it spawned some great things too. Um, my friend Carrie Sudi and I used to do an agile coaching circle, really trying to help people practice coaching and mentoring skills. We used to do that just locally here in Austin. And then all of a sudden we realized that people were starting to log in from Tasmania. We're like, what, what, what? how did you find this? And they're like, oh, we did a search on Meetup. Mm. And we realized what was happening. And so we went global with the whole thing. And now we've got five going around the world and it would have never come about if COVID hadn't come into play, because all of a sudden we realized we're like, oh, we've got to do something else. We have to be able to serve the people that are coming, not just, you know, this tiny pocket here. Also, if you hear snoring in the background, um, it's the dogs. <laughs> Mine snore too, fun. that's so funny. <laughs> I have a snoring one too. <laughs> I was like, it's not commentary in my interest. No, it's just, yeah. <laughs> Well, while we're on the topic, um, I was going to save this a little later for because one of the listeners had asked me to address this question. But, you know, since we're on the topic, let's just keep it relevant. Um, Since COVID, there has been a whole notion of needing to be more productive um, from your boss or, you know, you maybe have that kind of notion of yourself. Like, I need to be more productive because I'm at home. Uh, I need to do things, you know, constantly be doing things. So. The whole talk about like overworking yourself and when to end the day, how do we manage our time and stress around work from home? You know, that could be your relationship too, with your family, whatnot. Well, you guys can. <laughs> um, I'll wait in. <laughs> My first question would be then if I were the employee that had been given that feedback from a manager, uh, I would ask, what does productive mean to you? You know, what markers are you wanting to see? What's important for you to see that I'm getting done? Because I want to understand, make certain that we have the same wavelength about around what productive is. Because I think we're going to have to see a shift. You know, it's not possible um, with people, with families at home, there's going to have to be some flexibility and some forgiveness there. But if productive means, you know, getting these things done, then absolutely go ahead. I need to have that, you know, that structure throughout my day. Can you remind me kind of what the second part of the follow-on to that question was? Um, just managing your time and stress around work and with your well, family and whatnot. Yeah, I've seen people do some really uh, great things where, you know, they would take the kids for a walk before, you know, the day begins just to help transition that mental transition uh, from, you know, home to school uh, there and the like. I've seen people block uh, different parts of their calendars to denote that, hey, I'm going to have to be handling, you know, school with kids at this time. You know, I'm going to be not as available here, but I've made up for it around here. I tend to lean into the pillar of transparency on this part, uh, just because, you know, if you're open and communicative with people and let them know what's going on, 
it's easier for them to be like, oh, well, that's what happened there then. Okay, I have a better understanding. I'm not hiding anything from you. You know, this is this is what I've got. And by leaning into transparency and really making people a part, it opens the door for more collaboration and generosity of both heart and time. Totally, I totally agree with that. Like, um, and uh, I, I used to do examples of what Erin is saying and uh, say, for example, from 11 to 1 p.m., my calendar was blocked because that was the time in which I was, number one, doing some um, personal time with my child, doing some teaching, practicing some letters, some numbers from mm-hmm. 11 to 12. And then at 12, I would, I, I would be getting his lunch ready and yeah. uh, getting him to sit down at the table, have his lunch. And after lunch, um, I used to have in my schedule um, a 1 p.m. Um, uh, 1 p.m. time for my child to go to his room. And uh, Alexa would remind us, 1 p.m., downtime. <laughs> so, and downtime, and it would start playing some relaxing music in his room. And then that was the time for him to relax. And that's when I would be able to go yeah. to work. So my recommendation, if uh, if you're asking, is for me like uh, what really worked what was to set a routine. And in my case, I used Alexa, but it can be a calendar. It can be something on a board, anything. Yeah. As long as I have a routine, I was able to make it work. And uh, and and totally, yeah. Like my my managers, my teams were really understanding that from one from eleven to two, I was not available um, because I was taking care of my child. And the other thing that I've seen work on that front is uh, Kanban boards for families at home so that people kind of have that, you know, you know, sprint planning, uh, you know, at the beginning of a week and say, okay, what does everybody have going? You know, because there are a lot of different balls, you know, going around the air and the like, so that everybody's really on the same page. Um, What would it be like as a family to have daily stand up every morning just so you've got that? And yeah, your kids need to be a little bit older and the like uh, for that. But, you know, what's wrong with bringing some of those ceremonies back in? Because if you're looking at that communication that Karina was talking about there, and by the way, I think I need to go, I need to go look at Alexa <laughs> after this. <laughs> like, hmm, Alexa, how can you help me? Um, but I think use some of those things that, you know, if you are on an agile team of any sort at work, what about bringing some of that home? And I'm not trying to blur those lines, but I'm trying to help, you know, how can these practices support you? Mm-hmm. What are you doing elsewhere that can blend over here and be like, oh, this is a way to do this as well? Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, well, relevant. Relevant. And consistency. Sometimes oh, uh, yeah. I have found myself trying different approaches. And uh, yeah. I did find myself at some point doing some Kanban boards with my child, but I, it didn't last more than a couple of weeks. <laughs> so I was not a good um, following up yeah. on that. So I do have. Oh, I'm sorry. I was going to say, I do have friends at homeschool and I explain Kanban boards to them and how it could help like a child homeschool. And they're like, oh, okay. And they're like, okay. And just from a day-to-day practice and for especially older children, they could, you know, step in and take, you know, um, more control of their own board and their own learning. But for a younger child, helping them to understand how things move through a system and, you know, then they could see the progress that they make on that too. I feel like I'm sponsored by Kanban boards today. No, but that's a great <laughs> idea. I love it. I mean, it's 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 cool. I mean, I I yeah. can I can see my kids totally using that. <laughs> no, um, my friend yeah, Karen, yeah. you know, that's that's her. She is homeschooled for a long time, and you know, we went through it, and I explained what this was. But 
you know, it goes back to that transparency aspect. Mm-hmm. You know, we broke down a lesson plan and we just did a, you know, here's what a day, really, Eleanor, the commentary is <laughs> over there. Oh. Um, <laughs> we took a lesson plan for a day. All right. How do you break this down and how do you explain it? But it made it also easier for people who are homeschooling to document, you know, what that they'd done there. And it kind of made it easy transition, mm-hmm. you know, record keeping too. That's really cool. It's <laughs> a great idea. So let's transition now. Karina, you mentioned your work at Aja, or excuse me, Arizona State University um, with Aja, right? Um, so why is it relevant to Arizona State ASU? Yes. Yeah, so um, if, um, if you're familiar, like um, at ASU, we have, uh, we're operating by now under the leadership of uh, President Michael Crow. And um, in, in this, under his leadership, we are positioned as a comprehensive knowledge enterprise. What this means is that we combine teaching, learning, and discovery, and uh, use a lot of research practices to promote innovation. And we have very ambitious goals to to achieve uh, all of the different areas of the enterprise model at at ASU. But um, the thing is that in order to achieve all of those goals, um, ASU believes in change and believes that change has to be approached in a way that is rapid purposeful and perpetual. And so this is at the top leadership of ASU, starting with President Michael Grove, saying change needs to be rapid, purposeful, and perpetual. And guess what? Without knowing it, he's actually talking about agile because agile is all about that. Agile is change. And uh, agile embraces the concept of of, um, uh, change being rapid, purposeful, and perpetual. And uh, so as in any organization, I believe, like uh, I always say, agile is really not a methodology. Agile is a mindset. Agile mm-hmm. has several methodologies. One of them is Scrum, Kanban, you know, but agile per se is not a methodology. It's a mindset. It's a way of operating. And uh, it starts with an organization being aware that change is something good, that uh, we need to continue to um, change every single day, listen, listen to the stakeholders, in, incorporate feedback, and adapt quickly. All of those are agile principles, so they are a great fit to, um, to what President Crow is um, actually calling us to do. Tracy Smith is a poet, and she said, change is a generative act. And I think you just explained it so well right there. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Karina. Yeah. yeah. Love it, and, and I, like I said, I'm coming from um, an organization in which we were only waterfalls. So for me, it took really a difficult time to embrace this um, this concept that that change is good. That please do change my scope in the middle of the project because that is a good thing. That's going to mean that my stakeholders are going to be happy at the end, right? Um, and uh, that is how we live it right now. So it is a perfect fit for, for ASU. It was not easy for, for me personally to, um, to actually move to this approach. Um, but now I, I don't see any other way. But I like that you still honor, you know, some of the foundation which you learned because there are times when, you know, a flat straight project, you know, running according to PMP principles. Yeah, that's the way to go. Okay. But I love that you're just demonstrating the fact that it's like, okay, I need to be over here. Okay. I need to be over here, but you're really listening to the system, the voice of the system um, and the people to whom you're delivering value. So Aaron, I know you mentioned this a little bit before, but 
what is important to you about your work? You know, what frustrates mm-hmm. you or <laughs> what brings you, you know, passion or something? Wow. That is a big question. Um, <laughs> what is important to me about my work? Um, this work allows me to fully live my own values mm-hmm. and to truly be of service to whether it be organizations or teams within those organizations, but individuals. Um, this work is important to me uh, because I see it adding to good in the world, you know, whether it be teaching people how to use questions more effectively, to have better conversations, to learn how to listen, to uh, analyze what's going on behind the scenes. I used to work in engineering organizations. I did a lot of work as a technical writer, writing gruesomely large uh, documentation manuals that I was fairly certain I was the only person who ever read. But this work allows me to not only use all of my thinking, you know, but also my heart. And to be able to do that, I think, uh, is rather extraordinary. And so that's why this work is so meaningful to me. What is frustrating to me about it, I see a lot of people call themselves coaches. And I guess by frustrating, I mean, it also scares me to some degree as well, is because, you know, coaching butts right up against Uh, and many practices, you know, therapy or counseling and the like, you know, as a coach, I also need to know what I'm out of my depth, out of my league. When I, you know, am not on ethically solid ground trying to help a person because they would really be better helped by someone else. And it frustrates me when people don't take that into consideration and just think coaching is, you know, asking questions. It's not, it's not at all. I take that aspect my job is to be of service, to be of service. That is really important in coaching. And I feel like I just douse the entire conversation. People like, we were doing so well. It was uplifting, energetic, and now it's like somber. No, I, I think that's important. <laughs> no, I mean, so so I was going to ask this question anyway. Um, so can you like for those, I, I, I'm assuming most people know what an agile coach is, but let's kind of like go, down to the elementary level and explain like what you do. What is an agile coach? So an agile coach is someone who has, um, if we think of a big wheel on the floor, okay. And about, you know, a good quarter to a good third of that wheel is going to be my agile knowledge. And by that, I'm also going to throw in there scrum, lean, Kanban, XP, everything there that I have both theory as well as practical knowledge of uh, those frameworks. Okay. But if I expand from there, you know, further out into the wheel, there's coaching, mentoring, teaching, and facilitating. And I'll be honest, I spend most of my day as an agile coach working between those four different areas, whether it be um, doing an on-the-spot coaching session with someone who's really having trouble, you know, finding their way forward with their particular problem. It might be teaching, you know, what do user stories look like here? Uh, how do we, you know, capture better metrics? What do we need to do here to use powerful questions to uh, forward a conversation rather than, you know, having someone feel like they're undergoing the Spanish Inquisition? Okay. So I spend most of my day in those four areas, coaching, mentoring, teaching, and facilitation. The other three parts on that wheel are uh, transformation, 
business and technical, meaning that as a coach, I need to have uh, a grasp of what the business needs at those levels, whether it's how do we execute a full-scale organizational transformation, whether it's really understanding the deep technical side of the problem that is being considered, excuse me, as I have a big frog in my throat, Um, but also um, the business. What is the business ask here? What are the things at play if we don't execute fully on this problem? So an agile coach is someone who really steps into that wheel and can take it all into consideration, okay? As an agile coach, I mean, honestly, I have a pretty interesting day most days because I'm not always certain what's going to come my way, but I need to have the experience and the wherewithal to know um, how to not only handle those problems, but to move through them, okay? And knowing, hey, is it, would it be a really good idea here? How would we apply uh, Kinevin, you know, with this model? Or do we need to implement a coaching and mentoring practice throughout the organization to really help lift that up? Uh, Do we need to take, um, you know, why are we falling down over here uh, on a roadmap perspective? Do we need to think about scaling? So as an agile coach, it's not an easy job, but it is very interesting every single day. So did that help explain what an agile coach is? Yeah, it's a, it, okay. it, that's a great explanation. And I love the four areas. I've experienced it as well. And I've probably spent about, you know, uh, most of my time in the teaching area, but a lot mm-hmm. of facilitation and coaching as well. So, yeah. 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 I, I, I really commend uh, you, Erin, for um, what you said before. Now it makes sense when you said that um, you are, um, your interest isn't really, um, you're able to say this is the moment in which you are not no longer helping you and there is something else that that you need to, to take and uh, I haven't really heard that many uh, on teachers or coaches and uh, so I commend you for that because that is only um, saying that you are actually practicing listening to your stakeholders as you go and being able to understand if you are able to actually help or not and maybe recommend some other options that may not be within your uh, control, but, but actually it's part of your job to, to take them in a different direction if it is really needed. So you're doing, you're capturing their feedback, you're capturing what is works best for them and being able to adapt as, as it goes. Yeah. The ethics side of this, I mean, the ethical side of my training, so full transparency, I used to be an adjunct, adjunct uh, faculty um, at a university up in Chicago. And, you know, I would always get all of these, these computer science students that had waited until the last quarter to take this course that they had to have as part of their degree. And I would include ethics as part of this conversation. Mm -hmm. And it always surprised me that wound up being my favorite uh, section every time I taught just because of the conversations that spawned from it. And the students, you know, they, the feedback from them was, well, they were like, wow, I wasn't expecting that in this course, but that turned out to be invaluable. And I'll be honest, as a coach, that ethics, that ethics foundation and training is really important to me. And I'm, I'm glad that the coaching programs are understanding this and taking this into account because without it, I think if it's being unmoored, you know, you have this ship, you know, being tossed around at sea. Um, without that foundation, you know, you're just, you know, kind of a jello salad without control. 
but ethics make it possible for me to stand with deep, you know, strong roots and know who I am, what's important to me, um, and how I want to be. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm never unhappy for that foundation. But thank you, Karina. That was really kind of you to say. I appreciate that. So, Karina, can they, so this is you know, agile came out of technology, software development. Uh, I get this question all the time when I teach my uh, intro to agile class. Uh, and, um, you know, even in my waterfall, so I do teach both. I teach agile and waterfall um, project management, but I get this all the time. What, you know, how can I use agile outside of technology? So can you give us some examples of how it's used <laughs> at ASU in yeah. non-technology projects? Yeah, um, thank you for asking that because, um, yes, we take pride at ASU for um, the ability to use Agile at, um, beyond just the technical team. Um, but a couple of examples are um, um, one of the units at ASU is named uh, Ed Plus. It's the area for ASU Online plus others. And uh, they apply um, Agile for marketing projects, for example, being able to keep a Kanban board with all of the visuals, events, campaigns, and um, all of the digital assets that are being planned for a marketing team. And uh, all of that is it's in Agile uh, using Jira boards. Um, so Jira is one of the tools that is typically used for uh, by IT teams, but why not use it in other areas, right? Uh, I, myself, um, at some point, um, a, a couple of years ago, or maybe more, I did manage a project, a large project, in which we did um, um, Scrum for curriculum development. So in my team, I did not have uh, IT developers. In my team, I had uh, uh, subject matter experts and instructional designers and uh, graphic designers and teachers who were putting together new content for courses. And we developed uh, lessons and units and whole courses with different components of the course just using Scrum and uh, with following daily uh, Scrum meetings and metrics and, uh, you know, all of the Scrum methodology itself uh, for curriculum development. And it works perfectly well. So, yes, Agile beyond IT is, um, yeah, it, it's possible. <laughs> I see you, Erin, uh, doing some. Yes. You, yeah. you've done, you've made my heart glow just a little bit. I mean, honestly, Agile works I really haven't bumped to where, you know, a place where it wouldn't work. You know, I used to work for a large publishing company and I worked upstairs in the IT part, but I made friends with some of the scientists as well. And what you were describing, you know, we started applying agile to like textbook development where we do, you know, deep slices instead of these horizontal runs. I'm like, oh, and we could deliver much more quickly. We could deliver much more interactively. Full transparency, I've implemented different parts of Agile at veterinary clinics, electrical engineering firms, you know, design sprints, HR, marketing, my family reunion. Also, what I what I see is that when you use Agile in anything, just like that, family reunions, event planning, planning your wedding, right? Planning your graduation, uh, anything. Um, but then Agile kind of becomes a game and uh, makes everything fun. Like in my experience, when I said about curriculum development, really the team was very much driven by the metrics and uh, burning down points, right? And uh, then that healthy competition about um, more points that are being burned down here or there. 
Um, so it generates a very healthy game and uh, makes everything fun. So I must confess when I put, uh, we were planning a family reunion a couple of years ago and I basically put everyone on a Kanban board and uh, we were generating a backlog. And all of a sudden one of my cousins looked at me, she's like, is this what you do? And I'm like, she's like, oh, it does work. I'm like, best family reunion plan ever. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yeah. If anyone was on the edge or on the fence, including myself about, you know, including uh, agile in their everyday routine, I definitely think they will think otherwise now with you too. I have one client. I have one client. We just put him, you know, painter's tape and sticky notes and making his work transparent so he could see everything that he was trying to put into a system. It made a world of difference for him because then he could see he's like, oh yeah, I've got too much stuff right here. This is why it's clogged. I'm like, okay, what do we need to pull back? Mm -hmm. Okay. Just making that visible for him. Yeah, the visual concept of it is what is so fascinating. And I think it helps mm-hmm. a lot of people, whether they say, you know, oh, I can just do it in my head, you know, no, but every, I mean, everyone is a visual learner in some some sort of way. And that's a great way to think about it. So earlier we had the question that's like, how do I, you know, I'm stuck at home and I need to be more productive. OK, when you can show that to someone else who isn't in your house and be like, OK, here's what's going on. It gives them that visibility and you can say, hey, do you see why this is clogging here? You know, I've got too much work in progress right here. What do I need to pull back? Okay. And they're like, oh, you really can't push 10 pounds of crap into the five pound bag right there. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Some of that's got to come back. Probably should have asked about cursing before I got on here. So I'll, (laughs) Um, but you see, yeah, I mean, I know that you have a virtual background right there, Lauren, but honestly, Painter's tape, index cards, sticky notes. That's all you need. That's all you need. There are great, you know, digital free tools that you can use as well if that's what you want. But sometimes just seeing everything that needs to go into play, that's all you need. Oh, yeah. I I have to agree. Deborah and I talk about this all the time. We go, we use all these forms of, you know, calendar planning and whatnot to visual, you know, put it on your, make Mm -hmm. it virtual and whatnot. But no, nothing beats paper for me. And I know that probably younger generations will disagree because they are all about tech now, but nothing beats the paper and pen. (laughs) No, that's a cathartic act to be able to write something down, okay? And to get it out of your head. And there's that act of getting it out of your head, Mm -hmm. okay? No. And when, when, uh, when, like you say, younger generations will rather use technology, but sometimes when you use some of this technology, you get so much uh, like stuck on the use of the technology and maybe Mm -hmm. I've glitch this didn't work or I deleted the wrong card or you know like there's always some little tweaks in technology that you can that you can get easily lost in in the technology itself and lose focus on the real exercise but when you are just using post-its there's no bad in deleting or ripping this post-it and getting another one right it's much more it flows better and you actually focus on the on the process work. itself and that's first uh, innovation and creativity and it gives you such a place to start from i mean start where we are and go from there that's exactly what we're going for because if you're finding like oh the system is working but i think it could work better and that's really like okay i need to have dots to indicate is this personal is this work or should this belong to one person or another or it's like oh, okay how do i i mean this is a really big ticket 
how do I break this down? And the thing is, it gives you a place to start experimenting with mm-hmm. and have that. I mean, let's start where we are and go from there. That's, you know, what I often tell teams, what organizations, there's nothing wrong with the way you've been doing things. Okay. Mm-hmm. But it sounds like you want to find a different, a better way. Let's try. Okay. Yeah. Doesn't hurt to try. No, it doesn't. Um, so I have a quick question, you guys. Uh, it's kind of off script, but um, since we're all we've all taught at universities or or work for a university, I really, you know, like my uh, one of my one of my other passions is to like bring more project management agile into the curriculum. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not, you know, I'm not seeing a lot of it yet. Um, I know ASTU is bringing it in. Um, so what do you guys see the future for like agile in universities? I mean, are, do we just, you know, is it, do you see it just in it or engineering or, you know, does it need to be like every, everywhere? What do you guys, what do you guys, cause I have my own thoughts, but I'm wondering you guys, since you both have experience in university as well. Rainy, yeah. do you want to go first? Yeah, happy to. Um, my my thinking is number one. I would say beyond university, it's education. The topic is education. Every um, like pre K through uh, forever, lifelong learning. Right? It doesn't end when you finish a college degree. It's a education. It's a lifelong learning. Um, it's a lifelong um, opportunity. Right? To continue to learn. So, and the whole education. Um, um, approach has changed or is continuously changing right now with COVID. So the question becomes more on, on how um, educational institutions can become more fluid to their approaches to learning and uh, how do they really continue to embrace the um, uh, change in everything that they do and being able to adapt to um, right now it's hybrid learning or fully online learning or um, different needs that are going to, I believe hybrid is here to stay, you know, like in the future, we're going to continue to have some students choosing to do online learning at the same time that the teacher is teaching some others that are in person. And uh, so how are our uh, education institutions going to continue to adapt to that? And that is the big question. So agile becomes only a support, a strategy, for the main strategy that um, education institutions are going to choose to uh, adapt to that change. So agile is the how of the what they will do to adapt to the different changes that COVID and uh, whatever comes next are pushing us to do differently. Mm-hmm. And I want to add to that, I think we're going to see different you know, agile practices, you know, filtered down into more, um, you know, what if it's at the grade school level where teachers are saying, hey, here's the day that we have planned. And they students see starting, uh, students begin to see, you know, work move through a system just of the day. And they, you know, recognize it as a way, a support, a framework, just like Karina said, to help them understand where they are and how that work is going to track going through. And it's just kind of a way that they've been growing up, you know, because eventually, you know, more and more teachers are going to be reaching out going, hey, I need help with this. And someone's going to know a coach or a scrum master and be like, well, let's experiment more with this. And so students are going to have that, you know, filtered coming in and it's going to continue through university because at this point, yes, they're teaching, you know, 
agile, you know, for lack of a better term, you know, at the university level over the engineering departments, just because they're, this is how you guys are going to see this as you, you know, exit university and move into the professional workforce. I see the day coming sooner rather than later where, you know, this is just the way things are done, not, you know, oh, something new to learn. This is just kind of always there. Mm-hmm. So I think Karina's words of support and framework, yeah, spot on. Yeah, like back in the time, right? We were teaching people how to um, write an email or how to use um, Gmail or the <laughs> first uh, Yahoo or whatever um, email applications were there, right? And there may be may have been some old classes for how to use an email um, application. And yeah. now it's part of our day to day, right? It's uh, it's everybody knows how to do it. It's, we don't need to take a class for it. So yeah, same way, like teaching Agile is not something that is going to be in the future, but it's just going to be taken as a given and, uh, mm-hmm. and used as, a, as an approach to change, which is yeah. constant. And even for, you know, starting off, like even really young, like you do the K through 12 Karina um, preparatory schools, like I think that's great starting off young because um, I definitely wish I had that, you know, at a younger age and I got to know. Too late, that. Lauren. We can get I know. to it. <laughs> I know. It's never, it's never too late, but definitely kids that are, you know, going through K through 12 definitely are much, much lucky, <laughs> very lucky to start it off young. But yeah, you, you guys are, I mean, I'm just literally like, I want this conversation to last forever and ever because you guys are just like the best. I'll let you call my afternoon clients them and tell them why I'm going to be late. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, for me, so, you know, I struggled with this for a long time because I've been teaching um, project management for a long time at, uh, at universities. And so I struggle with it because you know, we teach finance, we teach operations, we teach uh, marketing, but we don't teach project management. And so when people go out in the workforce and they have, they get thrown a project, they don't know how to do it. Right. Or, you know, they, they're told to be a scrum master or, you know, you have this, this release train that you've got to, that you've got to manage and they have no idea what that is or how to, how to do it. And it just seems like if we're going to teach those other parts of how we work, then how, why can't we teach project management or at, you know what I mean? So it's, for me, it, um, it's more of like preparing people for the workforce at universities. And I don't, I don't think we're there yet with project management. So, you know, we are with like the certificate, like with IC Agile does a great job and other, you know, PMI does a great job with project management. So, you know, we're there, but not a lot of people go there right away, right? They go there when they need to. So it seems like it should be more at the high school or college level where they're learning these things, just like they're learning the other topics, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? So that was just, um, that's yeah. just my thought about it. I kind of want to go off on a tangent on mentorship, but I don't know if we have time. <laughs> Let's, one minute. Okay. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> go ahead. Oh, I have a one minute for my tangent. Yeah, on, one minute. One okay. minute. I thought I was yeah. waiting a minute. Okay. Um, but I think what you're describing there is we do need that mentorship aspect. This is a topic that is very near and dear to my heart. People have heard me speak at conferences and the conferences and the like will hear me say, 
um, this sentence. Mentorship is the act of planting trees under which you will not enjoy the shade. Mm -hmm. How do we as practitioners or people that experience, how do we help bring that forth in, you know, the next generations, the people who will come after us? You know, what relationships do we need to build uh, with them to really help ensure that they have the skills to do some of this difficult work? I wish that I saw more active mentorship in place, uh, mm-hmm. not only just throughout, you know, the professional workforce, but humanity as a whole, humanity as a whole, you know, because it's that teaching aspect. Yes. But, you know, there's a difference between coaching and mentoring and we're not as clear on it as we should be. So if anybody would like to hear me go off on a full blown tangent about that mentorship, let me know. And, you know, we'll bring you back. I would love that. I would love that. Yeah. Um, no, no, I would, uh, I'll bring back a, um, you and a couple more and we'll, and we'll do, we'll talk about mentoring because I think it's important. I agree. I do too. I do too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's a great, great, um, stopping place. Uh, I really <laughs> love that, you know, um, so, and you know, it's time to start winding down. I want to thank you both for joining us today. Like Lauren said, this was amazing. And, uh, you know, uh, hopefully, you know, people are going to listen and, and, um, learn a great deal from you. And we want to know, you know, how to get in touch with you, obviously, because uh, I know that people who are going to be listening in are going to want to get in touch with both of you. So, um, how can, how can we reach you, Aaron? Well, the easiest way is probably just to find me on LinkedIn. Uh, it's Aaron Randall. I would give you my coaching practice name, but everybody stumbles over it the first time. Uh, Admiliora is Latin for uh, to better things. And so that's where that name originated. But it always is a little bit fun to say the first time. So reach out to me on LinkedIn um, or just email me off my website. I'm happy to do that too. Yeah, I already stumbled over it once. So I feel bad. I don't want You're not alone. You're not alone. I always feel like I should come with a disclaimer. I'm a disclaimer. Yeah. And Karina, you as well. Yeah, for me, uh, LinkedIn as well. Or um, email, um, I can take emails, uh, karina.jones at esu.edu. Perfect. That's great. Perfect. So just a reminder to our listeners that although this show is live, we do record them and release them as a podcast. Um, So you can subscribe to the Learnist show, L-U-R-N-I-S-T, show on Apple to iTunes, Spotify, Google, iHeartRadio, whatever the platform you prefer. Um, you can find the links to the show on our website, thelearnist.com. That's L-U-R-N-I-S-T.com. And we will also have the show notes on the on the site in a couple days. And that'll show uh, how you can get in touch with both Karina and Erin as well. Yes. And of course, thank you to our sponsor, Learn Agile. Visit learnagile.com to learn more about what we can do for your career in Agile. So that's it for now. Thanks, Aaron and Karina. Yes, thank thank you. you. It's been wonderful.